Everybody doing good tonight? Yeah. We got the air going, so maybe you're feeling a little cooler, hopefully. It got a little hot in here. But man, we are so excited um, that you're here. And like I said, we're starting a brand new series tonight be, uh, called I'm a Big Hypocrite. Why don't you turn to the person you're sitting beside and say, it's true. Go ahead and tell them. I'm a hypocrite. Just go ahead and tell them. Now turn to the other person that you didn't want to talk to and tell them, it's true. It's true. I'm a hypocrite. Now, it may not look like it. It may not look like it, but when I was a freshman in high school, I was actually a pretty decent basketball player, okay? Freshman in high school, pretty decent basketball player. And um, I, as, a, as, a, as a freshman in high school, being on the basketball team, I picked up this habit of cussing, just like cussing like a sailor. I mean, like my, I had, and some of you know what I'm talking about, but I had two very distinct versions of myself. I had the school version of Jason, which was this weird, like, ghetto, redneck, cussing thing. I don't know what it was, but it was school Jason. And then there was home Jason, uh, and that was preacher's kid, church Jason, all kind of mixed together. And I worked very, very hard to never let school Jason meet home Jason's parents. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, because if school Jason's parents would have met, or, you know, if, if home Jason's parents would have met school Jason, that would have been bad for school Jason, okay? He would have got in a lot, a lot of trouble. So I had these two versions of myself going on, and I remember we had this game one night, and, um, and, and my, my parents are sitting over on the far sideline, a few rows up. I'm out on the floor and I'm playing. And uh, I'm one of those weird guys who just likes to take charges. I, don't, I guess that's what people who don't want to play defense do. And so I, am, I, I go, the guy's dribbling down the court, and I go to the far sideline and I run to get in front of him to take a charge. His knees come up, hit me right in the ribs. It's an incredibly painful experience, okay? And as I'm falling to the ground, I let out one of the biggest F-bombs you have ever heard in your life, okay? And it takes me about five seconds to realize, okay, home Jason's parents are sitting right over there, okay? So about five seconds later, I look up and I, and I look over at my parents, and my mom has this look on her face like, that's not my son. Like, that's... That's not my baby. That's not, you know, she looks like she's seen a ghost. My dad has this look on his face like, I'm going to hurt you harder than that, okay? And, and I'm, I'm sitting there realizing that my two worlds have now collided. And you got to remember now, I live in a pastor's home, which is this really weird world because at that moment, my parents were more bothered by the fact that I said an F-bomb than that my ribs might be broken, Okay because that's just how it is when you're raised uh, in a preacher's home. And so we had a lot of explaining to do that night, some confessing to do, but that was a night I remember where, where my two worlds kind of collided a little bit. Two Jasons kind of met each other. I have another confession to make while I'm at it because this is kind of a safe place and, and I can confess to you a little bit. Um, a lot of you guys know that I have uh, uh, two daughters, Sadie and then Nora. Nora's two. She's about to be three. I think we have a picture of her. Uh, we'll throw up there. Most of you guys know Nora, but if you don't know Nora, this picture that we've got, that pretty much describes her right there. She is all in all the time. And, um, and so Nora finds it 
Nora thinks it's hilarious. Like, she has picked up this thing. She thinks it's hilarious to use the phrase poopy head, okay? She loves it. She says it all the time. She adds it to all of her songs. I mean, wherever she can fit it in, that's where she adds it, right? And I'm sure that, like, a great parent and a great pastor would work hard to correct that. I got to be honest. I think it's hilarious. And I am, like, encouraging this from my daughter. I just think it's awesome. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm just really encouraging this. But for everybody who's judging me right now, let me just say this. Nora and I have had a really uh, key, very important talk. Uh, and, and, and the talk was that I, I sat down and I clearly explained to Nora in very basic terms, Nora, this is something that's, this is between Daddy and Nora, okay? So we're only going to talk like this around Daddy we're not going to talk around, uh, like this around other people. We're not going to talk like this at church, you know. The, the, the poopy head thing is only a daddy Nora thing. Do you understand, Nora, that we're not going to talk like this outside? Yes, sir. I understand. Great. How many parents think that went well? Anybody? Okay. Didn't go well because if you've spent any time around Nora, she's probably called you a poopy head. Okay, I have, a, I have some video of it right now, actually. I just think this is great. You need to see this. Can we show that video? Yeah, poopy hard, Daddy. <laughs> okay, that's like our favorite thing to say. <laughs> and she just laughs. I mean, she thinks it's just so, so funny. And I thought that if I clearly explained to Nora that there were things that we could say and things that we didn't say, I thought she would pick that up and she would have no problem doing that, but she couldn't. She didn't understand that. And that makes sense to us because we know that two-year-olds, almost three-year-olds, don't know that they're able to have two separate worlds. They're able to, that's why they rat you out, mom and dad, when you don't want them to rat you out. They don't know that there are things you say in the car together and things that you don't say around other people about the friends that you're talking bad about in the car. They don't know that, right? And it makes all the sense in the world. Like nobody expects a two-year-old to understand those things. But as we get older, some point in the process along the way, we start realizing that we can create separate versions of ourselves. And based on where we are in life and based on what's happening, these separate versions of ourselves can completely like manage and operate and some of us are so good at it like we're juggling four five six different uh versions of ourselves i mean we have some of us have like married version right some of us have like work version right some of us have uh like hang out at the gym version some of us have go out on the weekend with the guys version. Some of us have uh, early dating version. Come on, ladies. You know, you meet that guy, and that guy's awesome. Okay? But then that's, that guy doesn't hang around a lot. Um, we even have, like, a Facebook version of ourselves, don't we? Don't we have, like, a Facebook version of ourselves? And what's crazy is, like, Corey was explaining this to me because Corey is, like, really smart when it comes to technology. Uh, Corey was saying, you know, what was crazy about the Internet when the Internet started is that one of the big fears of the Internet was that we didn't know who we were dealing with. That it was this completely anonymous, like, I don't know who's on the other side of the screen. And now we have evolved into this selfie society to where, like, we're just sharing images and videos of ourselves nonstop. It's the opposite thing now. Now it's not, we don't know who you are. Now it's like, I don't need to know that much about you, right? 
And so we live in this selfie society, this selfie culture. Did you know that in 2013, last year, that the word of the year was selfie? Did you know that? That every day over a million selfies are posted online, right? Over a million every day. I actually have some stats for you um, that are pretty interesting. That, um, so a selfie, if you don't know what a selfie is, uh, I actually had to teach this technology class to this, uh, these group of ministers that were elderly, and they had no idea what this was. But, but so let me just explain this to you. So a selfie is like, uh, it's just a snapshot of what is happening in your life at the time. That's what it's supposed to be, okay? It's just like a, a snapshot of like, let me capture this moment in life, and then you kind of share that out. It's supposed to feel like you're getting a glimpse into my life and what's happening. Well, here's some stats for you. 14% of all selfies are digitally enhanced, Okay. 36% of selfies are altered in some way, okay? Now, this was interesting. 34% of men retouch their selfies, right? Only 14% of women, actually. So, ladies, incredible there. Great job. Uh, actually, retouch, uh, retouch, um, retouch their selfies. And so, why, like, why do we do that? Well, I think we know why we do that. We do that because... We want our normal to not look normal. We want our normal to kind of look pretty spectacular. And the reason we want to do that is because we look at other people's normal, and their normal looks pretty spectacular, okay? And so we don't want our normal to look lame when your normal's not lame. So, so we take these selfies, and we try to give this, like— so we make it look like I just randomly grabbed my camera and took this picture— when the truth is, you really took 14 pictures, and after each one, you looked at it, and you're like, oh, my arm looks fat. And you took another one, you're like, no, I don't want that, and then do that, and then you did that. And it, which, by the way, like, like short-armed people are at such a disadvantage because, anyway. So, um, but like, we want it to look like we just grabbed our camera and took a shot. Come on, we took 14 shots. We picked the best one, okay? Uh, we make it look like that... Um, you know, we randomly are, you know, doing yoga on a mountain cliff, and the sun is rising, and we're in a pose, and like, we grabbed our camera. I don't even know how you do that, but you take a picture of that, and it's no big deal because it's no big deal for you to be on a mountain doing yoga at sunrise, you know? And so then I look at that, and like, my picture would be of me eating like Fruit Loops, and I'm looking at you, and I don't want my normal to look normal when your normal looks spectacular. And so I start working on all of these images and all of these versions, this social media version that I have of myself to kind of portray this image um, that's really not reality. Nobody struggles with this maybe more than parents because uh, there's probably not a more judgmental group of people on the face of the planet than parents uh, because we all want to raise great kids, but we also want to be known by other parents as great parents, right? And so we will take and capture these images to somehow portray this idea that, like, our family is incredible, which it is, but, uh, or that our house is awesome, or maybe it is, or that date night was incredible. And we never, come on, we never post the video of the fight, okay? I've never posted a video of me trying to get pajamas on my girls after bath time, because how many people know it's impossible to get pajamas on wet arms, okay? You know what I'm talking about. And so, like, I, I've never posted those images. I've never, you know, I'm always posting, like, you know, 
devotion time. Like, hey, get in here, get in hurry, get in here for this picture. You know, they're running around the room. I'm like, come on, buy the Bible, buy the Bible, come on, right? I'm never like, Andrew and I, date night at the red light, come on, you know, like we were yelling three minutes before that because we're late. We don't ever post that. And so I actually have really struggled with this, if I could just be honest with you, because um, I'm just going to kind of let you in on a little secret of mine that I, okay, I love golf, you know that, and I hope that one of my children will end up loving golf. It's kind of an Isaac's tradition, and we play golf, we love golf. And so, um, so Sadie was showing some interest in golf and uh, got a lot of natural talent. I mean, the kid's really good, actually. And so we would go out in the backyard and hit golf balls. And if you follow me on, like, Facebook or Instagram or whatever, like, you may have seen some of these videos that I was posting um, you know, showing how incredible my daughter is, but also kind of letting you know I'm a really good coach and teacher of this too. And so, um, and so posting this up on Facebook and Instagram or whatever, you guys are commenting. It was incredible. Um, Sadie is like posting these videos. She's like a natural, right? I actually have one of these videos. Uh, we want to show that. Some of you may have seen this, but I want to, I want to show. This is Sadie in the backyard. My girl can play, right? Let's see that one more time, Brian. Throw that up there one more time. Come on, let's see that one more time. I mean, she can play. That's over the fence. That's really good, right? Okay, that was like a four-second edited version of Sadie hitting the golf ball really well, okay? The original version of the video was not that great, um, but I worked really hard to capture this moment of how awesome Sadie is at golf. I want to show you the real video. Can I do that? Okay. This is about 30 or 45 seconds of us in the backyard um, playing golf together. All right? That's perfect. That's okay. That's a good swing. No, aim towards the house. Here you go. Put that one on the tee. Hold on. Hold on, Nora. It's Sadie's turn. Nope, look where you're lined up at. Keep turning. Now back up towards Daddy. Spread your feet a little bit. And back up. Can you stop being so silly? I'm not. I'm doing what you said. Ow! Spread your leg. Nora, get off my left leg. Are you talking about like that? Okay, that's... That's what, that was reality right there, okay? Why do we do that? Like, we all do that. Why do we work so hard to cover up the reality, the real kind of who we are and, and, and what actually goes on? Like, why, why do we work so hard to do that? Well, that's what this series is really all about, is over the next few weeks, we're going to try to kind of be honest about who we are, I'm getting us started tonight, all right? Be honest about who we really are. Be honest about um, our motives, our intentions, and just ask and beg and pray to God that he would squeeze out this poison in our hearts that so desperately wants people to be jealous of us or envy our life or who we are because that's what we do with other people. So what we're going to do for the time we have left tonight is I want us to look at a story in the Bible of a guy named Jacob because Jacob struggled his whole life with issues of identity. Jacob totally struggled with issues of identity. And he, he spends his whole life trying to overcome it. 
and work through it. And so there's some really good lessons that we can learn uh, through Jacob. So if you have a Bible tonight, uh, Genesis chapter 25, Genesis chapter 25, uh, we're going to learn a lesson tonight that Jacob learned that I think is really important. I hope we can learn it tonight. And here's the lesson. God cannot bless who we pretend to be. That God cannot bless who we pretend to be. And we're going we're gonna to figure that out here. So Genesis chapter 25, we're going to start with verse 24. This is the very beginning of the story. So Jacob is in his mom's belly, and he is a twin. So there's two babies inside. Uh, and, and this is what it says in Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. It says, And when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born. And don't you just love how, like, they give this description of how Esau's born and what he looks like and what he feels like. And it's like Esau. And then they're like, and then the other one was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob, which Jacob means heel grabber. And it kind of means in a symbolic way like deceiver. So here he is, and there's no way for him to really know this. He's in the womb. But intuitively, somehow, because God's up to something, he knows that if he's born first, he'll get the birthright, he'll get the blessing. His life will be completely different. And there's no way for him to really know that. But even in his mother's womb, he is reaching for the heel of Esau, trying to pull him back in so that he can be first. And because of something that happens to him, the first few seconds he breathes air, he's labeled for it. And he said, oh, well, this is a hill grabber here. The other one, this is a, this is a hill grabber. And, and, and birth order and identity and blessing is going to become a big deal to Jacob. And he's going to spend the rest of his life trying to find himself... Because he's not comfortable in the skin that God gave him. God has incredible plans for Jacob's life, but Jacob is so uncomfortable in the skin that God gave him that he's going to spend the rest of his life trying to find himself. So Jacob grows up in the shadow of his brother Esau, and uh, he's known as, Esau is known as a hairy man. Uh, he's known as a manly man. He's a hunter. He's a gatherer. He's just awesome. Esau, or Jacob, is known as a mama's boy, and he's actually, the Bible, the Bible says that he hangs out by the tents. That's the way they describe him, right? And, uh, and he hangs out in the kitchen, right? And so he spends his life in this environment, uncomfortable in his skin, desperately longing for identity. And an opportunity happens one day for him to make everything right, to correct it. And so in Genesis chapter 27, we're actually going to read a bunch of verses. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read all the way to verse 27. So it's a lot of verses here, but I think it's important for us to read it. Genesis 27 verse 1. It says, One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, they say that maybe Jacob is about 44 years old right now. So he's in 44 years uncomfortable in his skin and searching for identity. He called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied, I am an old man now. I don't uh, know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. 
But Rebekah, that's the mom, overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Verse 8, Now my son... Listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. Verse 13. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. So Jacob went out. He got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal just the way that Isaac liked it. Then he took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious, delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. Okay, So we're going to pick up in verse 18 in just a second. But I want you to notice what's happened here. Jacob is going into his father to get the blessing, but in order to do it, he's got to act like somebody that he's not, okay? So in order for Jacob to get the blessing, he has to impersonate somebody else and be another version of him that's not really who he is, because that's, that's really what just happened, right? Verse 18, so Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered, who are you, Esau or Jacob? And Jacob replied, so right off the bat, Isaac knows like, that doesn't sound like Esau, right? And Jacob says, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. And Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly? The Lord put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure you're really Esau. Like he just, like he, he just knows something's not right here, right? So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really, my, look at this, 24. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. And Jacob says, what does he say right there? Yes, yes I am. Esau says, okay, are you, are you really Esau? And Jacob says, yes, that's who I am, I'm Esau. Isaac said, okay, all right, I'll do it, right? Come, bring me the wild game, let me eat it. I'll give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father. Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him, 26. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and blessed his son. Now, here's the crazy thing about this story. It works. It works. Isaac blesses Jacob. He gets the blessing. The problem is Esau finds out what happened when he gets home, and Esau says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill my brother. And when Jacob finds out, he runs for his life. So Jacob spends the next 22 years of his life as a fugitive running. So let me ask you a question. What good is it for Jacob to get the blessing if he has to act like somebody else and run away for 22 years? Like Jacob finally got what he wanted, but in order to get what he wanted, he had to abandon who he was, his life, his family, everything. He had to give it all up in order to finally get what he wanted, right? What good is it to be blessed if we have to act like somebody that we're not in order to get it? Sure, Jacob had wealth, but he only had wealth 
because they thought he was Esau. Sure, he had family and prosperity, but he only had family and prosperity because they thought he was Esau. So what, what good is it, right? And so many of us here are in that situation. Like, we want God to bless our, our marriage, our careers, our money, but we won't stop putting up a facade and we keep acting like Esau when we're really Jacob. Okay, so you're, you say, God, will you bless my marriage? But you're the person you're married to doesn't even know who you really are. So you're like, God, bless this marriage. And God's like, I, I can't bless that marriage. You, you're acting like somebody you're not. Okay, God, I need you to bless the, my finances. And God's like, I can't bless your finances because you're spending your money in a way to act like you're doing better than you are, but then you want me to bless it. But you're not being honest about who you really are. You don't make enough money to live that lifestyle, but you're living that lifestyle, and then you're coming to me and say, God, will you bless that? And God says, you're acting like Esau when you're Jacob. So you can't, you, you can't do that. So you want God to bless situations in your life, but you're acting like somebody that you're not. And God cannot bless who we pretend to be. But I want to show you something really powerful. Look at this. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. So we've gone a little ways now, and... And, you know, he's, developed, he's got wives and kids and all this stuff. And he decides he's going to go back home. He's ready to go back home. At some point, you just get tired of acting like somebody you're not. And you say, you know what, I'd rather just go home and, and, and just be a loser, but I'll be at home, you know. And so Jacob decides he's going to go back home. The problem is he doesn't know if Esau's going to kill him. 22 years later, he doesn't know if it's going to work. And so... Jacob sends everybody ahead of him. He sends his wives, his wives' servants, his kids, his animals, his livestock. What he's hoping is, because somebody told him Esau with 400 men is headed his way. That's not good news. And so they're coming his way, and he hopes that they're going to see all that Jacob has and say, hey, let's don't kill him. So he sends everybody ahead, and in Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, it says this. This left Jacob alone in the camp. Jacob's all by himself, and, and this is not the point of the message, but can I just say that I think a lot of us have trouble being alone with God because we know when we get alone with God, we're going to realize that we're phony and that we're acting like something that we're not, and that really to be alone with God and to spend time alone with God, you got to be real comfortable in your skin to get close to God. And so Jacob is alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him. This is a really kind of odd story, and we don't have time to get into it, but this, an, this angelic, godlike, heavenly being comes and wrestles with Jacob all night long, all night long. And so dawn begins to break, and the man saw that he would not win the match. So Jacob is winning the wrestling match with the godlike, angel-like something. So he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This dude has spent 66 years of his life desperate for somebody to bless him. Like he won't let it go. It haunts him every day. He's so unhappy with who he is. In other words, he's saying like, I'm not going to be Jacob that isn't blessed. It haunts him every day, 66 years. He says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And look at this, verse 27. What is your name, the man asked. Now, 22 years earlier, Jacob's dad asked him the same question. 
22 years earlier, Isaac said to him, are you Esau? And Jacob said, yes, I'm Esau. I'm Esau. Now, 22 years later, Jacob is back at this same place, and this guy, this angel, this godlike thing says, what is your name? And he replied, Jacob. And the Bible doesn't say it like this, but I kind of just picture it like, like a tired 66-year-old man who's tired of playing games and acting. This angel is like, what's your name? And I can almost see him, see him saying it like, Jacob. Like, I'm just Jacob. I'm not Esau. I, I, I'm just Jacob. 28. The angel says, your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. I love this. This is so powerful. I love that God loves us too much to leave us how we are, right? And the first time in Jacob's life that he's honest enough to admit, you know what, I'm just Jacob, God says, that's all I was waiting for. Not, not anymore, you're not. As long as you keep acting like Esau, I can't help you. But, okay, 66 years later, you finally say, you'll finally admit who you really are. You'll finally just be honest about where you really are. And God says, the first moment you're honest about who you are, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to bless you. But I cannot bless who you pretend to be. God loves us too much to leave us where we are, but we have to be honest about who we really are. And if we're just being honest, we've all got a lot of Jacob in us. We're all broken. We all spend way too much time caring what people think about us. I mean, we, we think about how people view us because we're judging people and that's how we're viewing them. We desperately want to be important. I was going through some counseling recently and, and trying to deal with some anger that I was having in my life. And the counselor just is talking to me about, you got you to gotta get down to the heart of the issue. Ask yourself why five times. Okay, this is happening. Why? Well, because, why are you mad about this? Why? Because of this. Well, why does that make you mad? Because of this. Why does that make you mad? You know what I got to after five whys? I want to be important. And I would be willing to bet if you would chase down your feelings, you would get to some version of pride or importance. Because we all want it. We've all compromised. We've all been addicted to something. A lot of us are still addicted to something. We fight. We struggle. We make lots of mistakes. And honestly, like, we're all just a bunch of hypocrites. We're, we're just broken. And you need to know that God is okay with you being broken. He's just not okay with you lying about being broken. Okay? So let me say that again because some of you need to hear that because it's going to free you up tonight. God is okay with you being broken. He's just not okay with you lying about being broken. The moment you'll finally admit you're broken, God says, I'll fix you. But I can't fix you if you don't think you're broken. you got to admit you're broken. There's an incredible story um, out of Paraguay. And with talking about this tonight. There's this incredible story out of Paraguay of this community where uh, these, these young students wanted to learn how to play orchestra instruments. And so... 
they wanted to learn these instruments, but they didn't have any money. Because it's a very poor town, a very poor community. And so they didn't have any money. And so some parents in the community, these two guys, got this idea to make instruments for the kids. But the only thing that they had to make the instruments for the kids was objects that were coming out of the town garbage dump. So they begin to make these instruments, and they begin to hand them out to the kids, and the kids begin to play and receive instructions, and they get better, and they get better, and they get better, and they get better, and they start getting so much better, and their story is so incredible that they start getting invitations to start playing at events around the world. And I love this. They call themselves the Landfill Orchestra. The Landfill Orchestra. I actually want to show you just a quick clip because this is pretty incredible about what these kids have done and kind of what they're playing. Let's show that clip. Me llamo Juan Manuel Chávez, más conocido como Eddie. Tengo 19 años y toco el cello. Este cello está hecho de una... Me llamo Juan Manuel Chávez, más conocido como Eddie. Tengo 19 años y toco el cello. Este chelo está hecho de una lata de aceite, la madera tirada en la basura y las clavijas son de una vieja cuchara para golpear la carne y para hacer el ñoquis. Y suena así. I don't know a better depiction of what the church is than that right there. Like, we're not a place for perfect people. If we were, you would have to leave, right? We're really just some broken pieces of thrown out trash that God in his unbelievable grace has decided to just make some music out of. Like as a church, we're really just a, a landfill orchestra. And maybe you're here tonight and you've always had issues with the church because you're like, man, that place is just filled with hypocrites. We agree with you. Like we are. Like we, are, we don't have it all together. We're not this awesome cello. We're just an oil can and a meat tenderizer. But God decided, you know what? I can take that broken piece and I can take that broken piece and I can take that broken piece and I can make something beautiful out of it. And he brings the body together and we call it, call it the church. When you came in today, you, you should have gotten a glow stick. Can you see that? And I actually have one down here I forgot to bring up. Let me have that. I need that right there. Sorry. Um, let's go ahead and take the lights down for me, guys, uh, if you can. Grab that glow stick that you got when you came in, please. Not all the way down, sorry. Give me a little bit of light. There's a, there's a verse of scripture in Matthew chapter 25 that says the, that we are the light of the world. We're a city on a hill. And I've, I've heard that verse all my life, and I've always kind of, and it was, it was my own issues, but I've always kind of heard that and thought that I was a, that I was the light of the world because I was good or, uh, in other words, the better I was, the brighter my light got. This is kind of how I always interpret it because I grew up in a very religious environment that I thought Jesus was a principal, and so I wanted to make straight A's. And so um, 
So I thought, okay, my light gets brighter the better person that I am. But the older the get, that I get, the more convinced I don't think that's it at all. See, there are some things in life that are better broken. And I'm convinced, and maybe it's not a universal thing for all of time, but I'm convinced in the culture that we live in, the society that we're a part of, I believe that what causes our light to shine the brightest is when we're honest about our brokenness and honest about who we are. Why don't you go ahead and just crack those. Now you can take the lights down all the way if you don't mind. Shake it up real good. Why don't everybody just hold it up in the air for me right now? Hold it up in the air. See, I, I believe that our lives are better broken. I believe that, our, that Jesus made our lives better when his body was broken. And, G, and Jesus did not call us to be the light of the world because we would be mistake free. He didn't call us to be the light of the world because we were qualified by good behavior or not having other versions of ourselves or being hypocritical. He said, if you'll just be honest about how broken you are, I can do something with that. I want to show you one more thing. I know, I know we've gone a little long tonight, but I want to show you one more thing. In verse 25, it said that the angel knocked Jacob's hip out of the socket. Now, just real quick, look at verse 31. It says in verse 31, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. I love this image. It's one of my favorite images. We actually did a study on Jacob a couple years ago. We talked about this. I love this image of Jacob just limping with this huge grin on his face. It's this man that is blessed by God walking with a limp. And symbolically, like, you walk with a limp too. And I walk with a limp. We all walk with a limp. And we try our best to hide it. And, and, and we do, actually. We kind of do hide it. But I've just gotten to a point in my life where I've made up my mind that I would rather have a limp and be blessed by God than to act like somebody that I'm not so that somebody else thinks that I'm something. And I would be willing to bet that if you walked up to Jacob and you said, hey, listen, man, it stinks you got a limp like that. Man, I, you, know, I, you know, don't you wish God could take it away or something? I bet old Jacob would be like, nah, I like my limp. Because every time he limped, every time he hurt, every time he felt it, he remembered that night that he said to God, I'm just Jacob. And God said, no, not anymore. Not anymore, you're not. Let's pray. God, there's a bunch of people in this room who, like me, spend way too much energy trying to be perceived as something different than they are. There's a bunch of people in this room who try to be good for other people and hate themselves for failing. There's a bunch of people in this room who try to be good for you and then they hate themselves for failing. 
God, in this moment right now, would your Holy Spirit just kind of move on our hearts and just give us the courage to kind of just be honest about who we really are? To just be honest about our brokenness, God, would you give the husband in the room courage to just be honest about who he is? The wife, the mom, the CEO, the high school student. God, what could you do with our lives if we put the energy that we've always put into our act into a relationship with you? God, if we'll be honest, you'll change us. You'll bless us, but you cannot bless who we pretend to be. So God, right now in this moment, would you just help us to to cross the line, to, 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 to take a step towards a new future and to not look back? Nobody looking around, everybody's heads are bowed, everybody's eyes are closed. If, if you're here tonight and I've been talking and maybe you would say like, Jason, like I, I'm exhausted just from life in general and I don't know, I don't have all the answers, I can't figure it all out, but I just think maybe it's time tonight for me to give my heart to Jesus Christ. Like I'm ready for a relationship with Jesus. I'm just a broken piece of you know, an oil can. And man, I would love for God to make something beautiful out of me. I would love for God to do something new in my life and change my heart, change my life. Like I'm ready to be honest about who I really am and I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus Christ. Nobody's looking around. We're not gonna embarrass you, make you stand up or anything like that. But if that's you, would you just lift your hand and just make eye contact with me? Yeah, just keep your hand up. Yeah, keep your hand up. Somebody's bringing you a bag. That's it. I promise. We're not going to embarrass you. That's all. Just as soon as they get to you, you can put it right back down. Anybody else? Hands, a bunch of hands going up. Yeah. Anybody else? You'd say, man, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm just tired of doing me the way I do me. Anybody else? Just a few more seconds. I want to drag it out, but man, just praying for courage in this moment right now for people to take that step, be honest about who they are. Not everybody look at me. We're going to pray a prayer together. And uh, I'm going to ask everybody to pray this with me. Those who raised their hands and those who didn't, because we want to give courage and confidence and boldness to those who did. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. You were scared. If you pray this prayer and you mean it with all your heart, Jesus will save you. He will make you a new person tonight. It'll be a process, but you'll be saved and following Jesus starting tonight. And so, so I would like everybody to pray this prayer with me. Will you pray this with me? Dear Jesus. I'm broken. I am a sinner. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. The next time I fall, help me to get up and run to you and not away from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together for everybody who gave their heart to Jesus tonight? Will you stand with me right now? Stand with me. Listen, if you gave your heart to Christ tonight, don't let this be the end of something. Let this be the beginning of something. There's some information in that bag. We'll give you a Bible if you need that. Man, we want this to be your home. We want to help you grow in that relationship with Christ. But man, we're just so excited about that step that you've taken. And listen, I'm believing that there's a, a new future, that tomorrow, tonight even, is going to be new life for some people in here. That aren't, they're going to stop acting like Esau. They're going to start embracing who they are, 
start admitting, hey, I'm just Jacob. And God's going to do something incredible in your life. Before we go tonight, before we close out, John and the team are just going to lead us in just a little bit of worship. Come on, let's sing it out like somebody who's been made new in Jesus Christ. And the chorus is going to close us out, all right? Come on.